Hello everyone, and welcome to the podcast of English composer Andrew Downs. My name is Paula Downs, I am Andrew's younger daughter, and on today's show I am so happy to be chatting to organist Robin Walker following the release of his wonderful CD of organ works by Andrew Downs, entitled The Forest at Dawn for Regent Records, recorded in the awesome Ely Cathedral in October 2020, by Miles Eastwood of Eastwood Records. Here are a few words from the composer. I originally wrote these works for organist John Bishop in Birmingham Cathedral, Robert Green in Hereford Cathedral, and Carson Kuhlman for the chapel of Harvard University in Boston, Massachusetts. I'm so delighted to have Robin performing on this CD. His playing is very beautiful with great clarity and accuracy, and to combine it with the wonderful instrument and acoustic of Ely Cathedral is quite thrilling. I was so fortunate to be present at this recording at such a strange point in time. We were in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. Music performances had screeched to a halt, along with theatre performances and sports matches. Gatherings of people, including choir rehearsals, were not permitted and musicians were navigating the strange new world of Zoom rehearsals and online concerts. To be allowed out of the house and into the spectacular Ely Cathedral for this fabulous recording was a treat indeed. Following the recording, Robin and I chatted over Zoom and recorded it for this podcast as well as for promotional videos which can be seen at andrewdowns.com. I will be playing tracks from the CD throughout this episode. You can purchase the whole CD as well as the sheet music at andrewdowns.com where you can also read more about the works on a blog post by Andrew's wife and publisher, Cynthia Downs. I am now going to play Prelude from Andrew Downs' Prelude, Fanfare and Postlude. Here are a few words from the composer. Prelude, Fanfare and Postlude for Organ At the time, I was a theory tutor at what was then the Birmingham School of Music. John Bishop, on the other hand, was a very senior figure at the school, having recently stepped down from being principal for health reasons. I was therefore very flattered and somewhat daunted to be asked by John to write a piece for him. As an organist, John was something of a rarity, in that he could draw a full range of feeling and emotions out of what is, after all, a sophisticated mechanical machine. In addition, I knew that John was going to premiere the new piece in St Philip's Cathedral, Birmingham. The cathedral is a beautiful Georgian space with a perfect, not over-resonant and warm acoustic. So when I wrote the piece... I was able to draw on both these things to help me imagine the music.
Robin Walker has for over 20 years worked as organist, conductor and teacher in his native England, across Europe and the USA. He has worked with numerous composers, giving premieres and making recordings for John Ellis, Frederick Fram, Nimrod Borenstein and others. Robin led the restoration of two historically important instruments. The 1734 Baroque instrument in St Giles in the Fields, London and the 1558 Zeffirini organ of the Bardia Fiorentina, Florence, Italy both where he served as organist. These instruments inspired his research into and recordings of contemporaneous music, both highly acclaimed. Robin's disc from St Giles, Bird to Blow, was featured on BBC Radio 3's Composer of the Week and also on Dutch National Radio. Robin studied organ at the Royal Academy of Music in London and is now an accredited teacher with the Royal College of Organists. He teaches organ scholars at Cambridge University, where he also sits on the organ admissions examination panel. For four years, Robin was Director of Music at Corpus Christi College, Cambridge, where he directed the chapel choir and curated the college music programme. Robin conducts the Ipswich Choral Society and the Cantate Choir in Kent. Visit theorganist.co.uk for more information on Robin Walker. And here is Robin Walker. What's your musical background? Well, I come from a family of amateur singers and I was encouraged to sing when I was little and I was a chorister at Ripon Cathedral. I was very lucky to get a 100% scholarship at Ripon. They advertised for a 100% scholarship to refresh interest in choral singing and choristers and stuff. So I got that, which was amazing. And so I spent four years at Ripon as a chorister under Ronald Perrin, who was a great taskmaster, an amazing musician, very inspirational. And then I went to school at Bradfield College in Berkshire, um, where I was encouraged a lot by really good teachers, organ teachers, singing teachers, learnt the cello. And then I had a gap year at Blackburn Cathedral as an organ scholar, which was a fantastic experience. And then moved to study at the Royal Academy of Music. So I studied there for six years, did undergrad and then postgrad. And then since graduating in 2000, I've worked as a freelance musician, so as an organist, choral director, vocal trainer and harpsichordist, various things like that. Keeps me busy. Why did you decide to learn the organ? Was that because you were a chorister and you liked it? Yeah, I guess so. We were really lucky at church when I was little. We had a lovely organ and a good organist. And he used to use the organ really well. And I always found it really interesting. This, this machine, this really fascinating instrument. And he was really nice. You know, he showed us how it worked and let me have a bit of a play. And then obviously when I was a chorister, it was an amazing instrument and a huge, great thing to play. This is a whole orchestra you could play on your own. And I was unfortunate in that my voice broke early. So from about January, February of my final year there as a chorister my voice was starting to go and obviously they needed to do something with me so I started learning the organ so that was really nice and I got to practice the organ at the cathedral during choir practices and things like that. So can you tell me about your teachers then? So my first teacher I guess was the assistant organist of Ripon Cathedral Bob Marsh so he was the person who introduced me to it got me going and then when I went to Bradfield I was lucky with two very good teachers who'd both studied organ and helped me get my organ scholarship at Blackburn Cathedral where I had organ lessons 
lessons with David Goodenough, who's the assistant organist there, and some organ lessons with David Sanger as well. He helped me get ready for my auditions at the Academy and various other places. And then at the Royal Academy of Music, my principal teacher was David Titterington. And we had improvisation lessons with Naji Hakim, which is very exciting, wonderful man, very intimidating teacher, but superb. We keep remembering his lessons all the time. And then we were lucky with master classes with some of the most amazing people. So Dame Gillian Weir, Montserrat Torrent, PK, basically the list of the great and good of international organists, really. And then the teacher I had in my final year postcard was Paddy Russell, who's brilliant. Yeah, I was very, very lucky. I mean, you go to somewhere like the Academy, you will see you get the best teachers in the world. That's the point. So really fortunate to have had access to some incredible teachers. Did you enjoy your time at the Royal Academy? Yes, I did, actually. I really did. It's really tough. It's not for the faint-hearted going somewhere like that because, you know, you've got to do it every time. There's nowhere to hide studying in a place like that. And you're in a small group. So I think the largest number of people in the whole of the Academy Organ Department across six years of study was probably no more than eight or nine people at any one time, maybe 10 during the time I was there. So it's very few people. And, and you put it on the line every time you play. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. And you did a lot of freelancing during your time there, did you? A bit, yeah. You can't do too much. But yeah, I was playing in the church down the road, the Hind Street Methodist Church. I was the organist there for most of the time I was at the Academy and then doing some concerts, some choral accompaniments for choral societies and things like that. But you've got to be practising a lot. So Here is Fanfare from Andrew Downs' Prelude, Fanfare and Postlude.
there's a lot of joy in the music. The prelude and fanfare and postlude is just great fun. I mean, really great fun. And I can imagine that coming out for parties and festivals and things. And it's great concert music. So it's going to really be interesting for audiences to hear. So I can't wait for concerts to start again, yeah. <laughs> you know, properly. And it's attractive music and it's enjoyable music to play and it's enjoyable music to work on. And I'm sure audiences are going to love it. So I just think it's a shame it hasn't been played a lot more. Sadly, as you know well, that's not unusual for music to get one or two performances and then sit in a drawer. Yeah, hopefully this recording will get it out there. Yeah, hopefully. And the good thing about the music is it's not at the upper end of difficulty by any means. So it's the sort of thing that organists won't find intimidating. So that's really good because there's a lot of people out there who are studying the organ to quite a high level as amateurs or semi-pros or whatever, and they'll find it accessible and usable. And so, yes, make sure it's available for sale to download. And then I'm sure people will definitely be interested. I think it is. It is. It's on the website, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And we just need to make sure that people know about that and then they go and get it. Visit andrewdowns.com to buy both the CD and the sheet music. Any particular career highlights? Two things I'm really proud of being involved in, the organ restoration at St Giles in the Fields and kickstarting that project and getting that all in place and being really pleased with who we got involved to do that because that has just been the most astonishing result with that instrument getting uh, Stephen Bicknell was the person I got in as the advisor and then the restoration was done by Bill Drake and his company and the result on that organ is is really special and it's restored an organ that would otherwise have gone I think well it wouldn't have gone but looking at the different options that different companies put forward it could so easily have disappeared really in terms of what's there and I think that's going to stand up for a long long time and be a very important instrument historically because it's a baroque instrument English Baroque instrument from 1734 with some Robert Dallin pipework from the late 17th century as well. It's a really important instrument to have and it helps us understand a lot more about that period of history in England because most of our organs have disappeared from before then because of our political and religious history, you know, our church history. And to be able to take people there and say, play that music now on this instrument and for it just to come alive for people, completely change their opinion of that music. I'm really proud of that. That's a really special thing. So what was your role in the restoration of the organ? Well, I was director of music there. Um, the instrument was there, but it was obvious. It was feeling very down and spongy and old and a bit exhausted. But it was clear that there was something really special there. The casework is particularly interesting, and that is all period. And then we realised that quite a lot of the pipework was period. So I got a few people to come and look at this, particularly Stephen Bicknell, who wrote a very important book, The History of the English Organ. And he came to look at it and was really pleased to get in because he hadn't been able to look at it before. And then he was gutted that he hadn't been able to include the organ in his book. So I knew he was onto something important then. And looking at the pipework and he was really excited about the age of the pipework and the quality of the pipework and came up with a very good way of acknowledging the different periods in history so most of the instrument was built in 1734 with gathered pipework so it was never built originally as a single instrument which is interesting so using older pipework that was in existence and then some new pipework but then in the 1850s Bishop and Son who were at that time one of the really leading organ builders in England they did a restoration luckily didn't throw too much away so the principal chorus is still there from the great almost intact and quite a few things in the choir and what they did was they added a full pedal organ and a larger swell they extended the swell organ but they didn't throw pipework away from the swell they extended out from what was there thank goodness so what Stephen suggested doing which was quite radical and actually got some not great feedback from people but I think they realized that this is a good thing so we restored the 1734 organ back to its original condition as much as possible including returning the long compass and also kept the long swell from the 1850s and the pedal board 
record. So what you've got is you've got an organ which has got much more range than it would have had before, but it's in a historic temperament. So if you play this well, you can play this well as it would have been, but if you don't use the lower register and things like that. So you can play it completely as if it's a 1734 instrument, but you can also go right up and play Bach and loads of later music and Mendelssohn and all sorts of stuff and loads of modern stuff. Um, the temperament is really beautiful, quite strong, but not too strong. So you've got lots of leeway. It's a fabulous instrument. Is that where you recorded your CD? The, the... Bird to Blow, yeah. I just don't know if I've said this to you, but it's a beautiful CD. I've listened to it quite a few oh. times. Oh, that's nice. Really oh, beautiful. Thanks. Yeah, I passed it on to my dad as well and he loved it too. Oh, great. I really enjoyed it, really did. Yeah, it's an amazing sound, isn't it? It really it's, is. Um, in that disc, I only used the old organ, as it were. I think you can get other recordings which demonstrate the bigger instrument around it. The other restoration that I've been involved in was in Florence, in the Badia Fiorentina. So I was the organist there for a few years. And Were you? When I was, yeah. And when I was there, the organ there is from 1558, and it's by Onofrio Seferini da Cortona and we had that organ restored and had it restored back to its original temperament which is a fifth comma mean tone temperament a really exquisite thing that is very special and to be involved in something like that is amazing and really extraordinary experience and it's still got its original bellows and things like that the proper little the v-shaped bellows you don't get those anymore and the hand pump's still there and the original action is all there and everything it's just really amazing. I am now going to play Sonata for Organ Movement 1 here are a few more words from the composer, Andrew Downs. The Sonata for Organ. This was asked for by Robert Green, a former teacher of mine at Aldridge Grammar School. He had also been assistant organist at Litchfield and Hereford cathedrals, respectively. Robert was a flamboyant and exciting player and there's some pretty hard technical pyrotechnics in the piece to give him a challenge. In addition, both cathedrals are magnificent, ancient edifices with amazingly resonant acoustics. Both are set in beautiful rural landscapes which colour the music of the sonata to a large extent.
Why did you suggest Ely Cathedral as a possible venue for the recording? Well, Ely sprung to mind as a venue because, well, A, it's not very far away from Cambridge. It's our sort of nearest mega structure, isn't it, in a way? The acoustic is astonishing. And when I was looking at Andrew's music, I thought we needed that space. It's big music. It's music written on a big frame and it needs room to speak. And so I thought, well, we definitely need an acoustic to work with. And the instrument at Ely is really fantastic. I'd had the chance to play it a few times before and it's got a real clarity to it which is great it's not a big heavy sound it's very powerful sound but it's really clean and really athletic sort of sound for an instrument and I thought that's really what we needed for Andrew's music but it is an instrument it's got all the toys on it so it's got all the really big sounds like the really big loud reeds and the really special expensive sounds like the big celestes and the very low pedal reeds and things like that Andrew's music is so symphonic and the scale of the music is so big that we needed a very wide palette of sound on the instrument. And I just thought Ely would just be the perfect match. And I think the results speak for themselves, really. So, yeah, really pleased. I just loved it when you could actually hear the sound waves going... All the way down the nave and back again. You get this sort of... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you're playing the organ, the room is just as much a part of the instrument as anything else. And when an organ works really well, it's perfectly in sync with the room. That's very much part of the organ builder's job is to make that instrument have the smallest stop fill the room and the loudest stop fill the room and all the different combinations work and get all the resonances to work. It's a really, really specialised and artistic creation building an organ. And Ely is really successful in that way. So So how did you find the organ to play? It's good organ to play it's very interesting because as the player often with the organ you can't really hear what's going on Uh, it's not very helpful because you end up buried in the organ or you end up being deafened by one part of it not being able to hear another part of it and Ely is very much like that so the organ in Ely is in um, you're on the wall so you enter it by going up a gorgeous stone spiral staircase behind the organ and then you go into the console and from where you sit you don't get a direct sound of any part of the organ other than one part which is right behind your head so when you're playing that you can hear it really loudly or very clearly anyway other parts of the instrument which are much much louder to the listener downstairs listeners probably 50 meters away they get an entirely different vision of what you're playing so at Ely you have to play with headphones on which mute the sound of the bit of the instrument that's right behind you and the microphones are placed down in the church so then you can get a better perception of what the balance is like and things like that so that's very helpful of course as soon as you put microphones in the room then you've got another person's point of view of the instrument so then you need to be working really closely with that person to give you good guidance as to whether the balances that you think is right is actually working in the microphones because those microphones aren't the same microphones you're listening through so it's yeah very interesting <laughs> when you're playing a big instrument like an organ it's it's not unexpected to have to work in a way like that some instruments you get the most amazing experience from the console but other places it's just not like that so i'm looking forward to hearing what it sounds like because i've only heard snippets of it me too <laughs> yeah. so what was it like to play in ely cathedral i mean what a buzz it's extraordinary you know we're very lucky as organists especially that we get to play in these incredible buildings and it's not often that you get the chance to have an organ like that and an instrument like that and a room like that all to yourself oh yeah it's a proper buzz yeah it's not something that you do all the time those people who play in places like that regularly are very lucky people it's a stunning building just to be able to walk around in it with kind of nobody there just four or five was in the whole building yeah have you played there before i've done a few little things there before so i've played for a couple of lunchtime recitals 
tours that choirs have done. I've been asked to go and play for them and I've played for an even song once before, again for a visiting group that's been up, but I've never done a recording or a solo concert before. So, and I've obviously been to some amazing concerts there. How does it compare with other venues? Well, everybody has got their own excitement and there's not many places like Ely in terms of what you park the car and walk towards it and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. It really is something special. Actually having the practice sessions when you're completely on your own in the building, that's good. I think the only other place that's similar, I've been lucky to play in some really amazing places. I think the experience of having the evening rehearsals at St Paul's Cathedral ready to do a recital Mm -hmm. and being in that building on your own. And that's quite extraordinary when you think of all the things that have happened in there and the history I don't know what it's like now but it used to be very brightly lit from the outside at night so of course inside most of the glass in St Paul's is clear or at least I think it is so you get this incredible lighting effect from all the lights outside that's really magical you just hear your footsteps echoing along through the building and you're all on your own and then you get to make this amazing sound so yeah but I think Ely's up there with that sort of experience it's cool to be an organist you get all these experiences that no one else gets oh yeah we get to go to all sorts of places that nobody else gets to go. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's really bonkers. Yeah. When I was the organist at the Badia in Florence, it's a thousand year old church and the tower that belongs to it, the Campanile, the, the bell tower, was built in 12 something or other, I think, which is nice because I can always find my old office on the historic woodcuts and things like that of Florence because it's always there. It's a spike, a very thin tower. So to get to the organ, you have to climb that tower, which wow. is quite cool. So you're going up a, you know, 750 year old tower to get to your office. Cool. It's, quite cool really and you know you get access to buildings people just give you keys and you think oh thanks very much (laughs) very cool here is movement two from sonata for organ by andrew downs
why did you agree to do this recording? I was asked by Andy Arthur, who I know through Cambridge. When I arrived in Cambridge, I got in touch with a few people and said, hey, I'm here, I'm an organist and a teacher. And Andy very kindly got me involved in the teaching of organ scholars in Cambridge. And I know you got in touch with Andy and said, would he do it? Because obviously he's a fantastic organist and he wasn't able to do it. And so very generously, he recommended me to you. And well, I was keen straight away because Andy had asked me to do it. So I thought, well, if he's asked me, it must be a good thing. And also I really love working with living composers and having the opportunity to explore music, which, you know, isn't in the public eye as much. There's so much good stuff being written for the organ and has been consistently. It seems to be an instrument that keeps exciting composers, people who are organists, but also people who aren't organists and people who just sort of see this opportunity. I think there's something special about the organ for composers because you get to work on as an orchestra, but you only have to pay one person to play, which is good. So it's a different kind of approach, but you can explore lots of really big ideas on the organ which because of the scale of the instrument, which is exciting. And the building as well. I mean, it's yeah, about... this, it's a special thing. I think the only other way you can do it is with a symphony orchestra to cover that kind of scale of music. And then you sent me the music through and I was intrigued and interested in the scores. It's a bit like an actor getting a script in a way. I think sometimes people send you things, you know, you have a look at it and then you put it on a shelf and you said, I'll come back to that. And then some things you don't come back to. But I didn't do that with this, which is good. It's intriguing music. It's interesting music. It's very carefully written, I think, in terms of the structures, but also the textures that Andrew's creating and how he's exploring using the instrument as a non-organist or somebody who's not trained themselves in playing the organ. And that's always interesting. It does sometimes throw up some issues because writing for the organ is obviously quite specialised and there are certain things that do work really well and certain things that you try and you realise, well, you can see what the composer's maybe trying to do, but it doesn't quite work on paper or the way that they've described it doesn't quite describe what they're expecting. Of course, being able to ask the composer is great. Sometimes you ask them and they don't know. <laughs> that's great too, you know, and then you can work something out. But So that's always really interesting. That thing, you're always trying to get into a composer's head and try and understand what they're trying to create. But it's just great to be able to ask them. So it's a really fascinating music and really enjoyable to play. How easy or difficult is it to play? Some of the music's hard. There are some tricky bits in each piece. Most of the music falls under the hands well. We had a couple of bits in one of the pieces which is quite tricky. There's an element of complexity in the way that the pedals and the manuals are combined with independent parts, but nothing that's not doable. Was that the introduction in Allegro? Yes, it's in the Allegro, yeah. That's really cool though, that bit. Yeah, the effect is worth it, isn't it? So it's fine. That might have been the sort of thing that somebody who was an organist themselves would never have had a go at writing. So then you might have missed out on that particular kind of sound, and so that's special. If there is a difficulty, then it's for the player to overcome. I mean, everything sits under the fingers well. Things that are less idiomatic for the instrument there's very few things that are but again you often end up with a texture which you think Ooh, oh yeah that's quite good actually I like that you get a different sort of effect so it can be a real eye-opener that's the hope whenever you get a new piece that there'll be something in there that catches you and think oh we like that that's good I am now going to play Allegro from Andrew Downs Introduction and Allegro but before I do let's hear from the composer again the Introduction and Allegro was commissioned by organist composer Carson Kuhlman a larger-than-life and flamboyant musician whose organ-playing is hair-raisingly brilliant. He is organist and composer in residence at the Memorial Church, Harvard University, Cambridge, Massachusetts. The piece reflects the kind of person Carson is, and also the luxuriant beauty, stress, privilege and excitement which pervades the atmosphere at Harvard. 
how did you prepare for the recording? Well, clearly lots of practice. And that's been interesting because we've been living through lockdown and things like that. So it was a different kind of experience to normal, having a bit more space to think about it. So that was good. And time to absorb the music. Getting the notes organised is clearly the basic thing. But definitely very much an integral part of that is trying to understand what the composer really means by that. So the dots are all very well, but it's only code. It doesn't tell you what the music is in a way. It's just giving you the essential detail. So trying to really get a vision for what the composer's aiming for, not what the dots say, but what the sound that they're really imagining coming out is. I think that's always the really interesting thing as an interpreter. And playing music by somebody who isn't trained as an organist is always interesting because they make the organ do what they think they want it to do in terms of the stops that you choose, so the different sounds that you choose and how you combine those sounds and the physical limitations or possibilities in terms of what the organ can allow you to do in terms of changing the sounds and the dynamic opportunities and things like that. The organ's an incredibly flexible instrument and very lyrical, very powerful, obviously. So a lot of our job as organists, as interpreters, is to try and picture those things as well. So orchestrating the music and trying to make it come alive in terms of the sound world that we create. And it can be easy to just get that wrong. And you end up coming in with an idea which you're very pleased with and you think is complete. And then for the person to say, oh, no, I had no idea that you'd come up with that because I had a completely different idea, you see. But actually, it was really nice talking to Andrew because he was very flexible in terms of what he he'd expected. He didn't necessarily come with particularly firm or, or fully formed views on what kind of sounds you might expect or things like that. So that was really interesting to have those conversations and then be able to share some rough recordings and get some feedback on the sounds. I think that's probably the most enjoyable part of the process in preparation, that creative side of it and really trying to represent the composer's ideas as well as possible and hopefully bring something else as well. You know, you bring that creativity in there too. So. Yeah, I think he really likes being able to hand his music over to the right person and enjoy seeing what they do with it. So it's their own, basically. So how did you enjoy the recording? Oh, it was great fun. Obviously, it's hard work. You have to be focused. But I managed to create the space and time I needed around it. So that was really nice. I was able to make sure that time was really protected, get myself into a little work bubble, which is great. And so I was able to just be physically happy and mentally focused which is good. Working with Miles was fantastic. I knew we were in good hands because I'd heard of him before by reputation and so I was really excited to work with him so that was good and he found a good sound straight away which is not easy but that was amazing and he was super calm, very detailed. That was really enjoyable. It's great working with a producer like that because to have that feedback is so valuable. It's really, yeah. really great and have somebody just spot little tiny things that you, you think, oh, you know, that would never have occurred to me and just pick you up on things that you might allow yourself to get away with. You know, given a chance yeah because when you're the player you need some feedback don't you it's hard to just rely on yourself especially when you can't actually hear what it sounds like on the recording yeah quite I took my recording box when I was there a few days before and recorded some things and to be able to listen back like that I mean it's a discipline I've done since I was a student but it's really helpful Mm -hmm. as you say as an organist if you're in a string quartet or something your neighbor will turn to you and say "Hmm, really (laughs) or something (laughs) you know and you can discuss things and you can brainstorm and you can have conversations as an organist you have to try and do that with yourself but it's not always the easiest thing to do so having that feedback from somebody is really great 
Was it nice to be recording at this very strange time? Oh, yeah, wonderful. I really felt very, very lucky to have a project like this to really focus on. And after having had quite a few months of not necessarily having anything specific to, you know, deadlines wise, no concerts, obviously. So, yeah, I felt very, very fortunate. And it was really special. I think that makes it even more special than normal, even to have a project like this, you know, this interesting, this important, this special to do. And we were lucky, of course, because there was no planes going overhead yeah. and far fewer cars going past and things like that so when I've recorded the bird to blow disc we had to record that between one and five in the morning because wow. we were in central London and it was impossible and then they moved a bus stop to right outside the church a bus stand even no, so there were buses no. that would come and sit there with the engine running um, um. Yeah. we'd have to wait for them to go and then wait for the clock to chime yeah anyway it was an absolute nightmare oh, no. so this was wonderful I think we only had one slight bit of bother from a car or something Ely's the cathedral's great because it's pretty separate from everything around it. it's not right on the road so that helps a lot it all came together quite quickly as well in the end didn't it it took a while to think about doing it because of coronavirus and then it all came together very quickly yeah I think so because we were available yeah exactly and the um, cathedral was available as well yeah because it was only six weeks or something from saying let's aim for this and then we were there doing it which is exciting yeah it was yeah nice to have that and just really focus and sort of really burn through that that was really lovely actually very fortunate i think chances like this might be a long time before they come around again like that in terms of access and availability and no planes and things is there anything else well, you would want to say huge thank you can i just say i just love your playing and i'm so, oh, so well i'm so so glad that you were able to do this because i just think you're perfect for the music Thank you for asking me to be involved because it's been an enormous privilege and pleasure and a really exciting project. And it's been special, actually, really, really special. Yeah, and meeting your dad's been amazing. Thank you very much. It's been wonderful. Yeah, I mean, I will remember 2020 for this, not for, you know, this will be one of the things that makes me think, no, actually, there were some really good things happening in 2020. So. <laughs> Fantastic. Any favourite bits? Quite a few favourite bits, actually. The piece which helped me sort of get hooked into Andrew's music and trying to sort of get a feel for what was going on what he was trying to say was the forest at dawn and i think that's quite an interesting piece. it does sit slightly apart from the other pieces in its structure and style but i think that it's so lyrical and the melody is so haunting the way he uses the instrument textually really caught my imagination so i think that might be a bit of a favorite the forest at dawn was commissioned by the royal college of organists as an item in their collection of new works entitled Millennium Organ Book. As its title suggests, my piece is intended to evoke the feelings as one listens to the sounds of dawn in the middle of a vast and exquisite green forest. Before I play Andrew Downs' Prelude, The Forest at Dawn, I want to say a huge thank you to Robin for coming on our show and of course for his wonderful rendition of this stunning music. Thank you also to Miles Eastwood for capturing it so perfectly and to Regent Records for releasing such a beautiful CD.